everybody, and welcome back to That's Insane, a podcast where I talk about murder, medicine, and maybe more, but most definitely more because there's a lot of weird shit out there. My name is Aurelia and I am your host, and today I have part two of The Plague, aka The Black Death. Um, In the first part, which is posted obviously right under this, I talked about the bacteria and the plague and its symptoms and like the medical side of it. And today I'm going to talk more about like the timeline of the plague and kind of treatments that they did back then and just all kinds of weird shit about the plague. So if you want to listen to the first episode, it'll definitely give you a little bit more information about the plague. So I'm not really going to say much else because I said everything else on the first episode, um, including the fact that all of the sources are in the show notes. So let's just jump right back in. So we left off talking about how we left off by first talking about the first plague pandemic, which happened in 541 through like 800 and how it's possibly more deadly than the Black Death, but there's not a lot of evidence to support that. So we're going to talk about the one that happened in the 1300s that everybody associates the plague with. So the Siege of Kaffa and Crimea is the first reported outbreak. This is also pretty much everywhere you look. It is considered... It is considered the first place. They believe it was carried by fleas living on the back of um, living on the black rats that traveled on the. Oh shit! Is it Gen Genoese? You know what? Let's look. Okay, so apparently it's Crimea. So my bad, and it's Genoese. So they thought that these bla- the fleas were coming on the black rats that traveled on the Genoese ships, which docked at a Sicilian port of Messina. So people on the docks were horrified when they saw that most sailors sailors aboard the ships were dead and those that weren't, um, that were still alive, were gravely ill and covered in black boils. The ships were ordered by Sicilian authorities to leave the port, but this spread through the Mediterranean basin um, to North Africa, Western Asia, and the rest of Europe via Constantinople, Sicily, and the Italian peninsula had already began. Now, Everywhere I searched to verify this was basically a copy-paste in different spots, but there is evidence to suggest that once the plague came ashore, it spread from person to person as the pneumonic plague, which would explain why it spread inland so quickly. Because if it was the fleas that were the primary vector, we would expect it to be a little bit slower, but I can't find anywhere like confirming that it really was the pneumonic plague maybe it was both. Regardless, the spread continued. So people didn't know how the disease transmitted, of course, but they thought it was by miasmas, which are disease-carrying vapors emanating from the corpses or from the breath of an infected or sick person. Like I mentioned, the plague starts as vague flu-like symptoms, but then it rapidly affects your lymph nodes and those begin to swell, whether it's like in your neck or your groin or what. And then they would form those buboes, which were filled with pus and blood. All of this then caused septic shock, which is when an infection gets into your bloodstream. It compromises your organs and leads to multi-organ failure and eventually death. Now, not long after overtaking Messina, it spread to the port of Marseille. Marseille? Motherfuck, I should have looked all of these up. Hold on. 
Okay, it is Marseille, which I wanted to say, but then I thought it was like Marseille, because what is the one, like Versailles, right? Isn't it Versailles? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So not long after taking over Messina, it spread to the port of Marseille in France and part of Tunis in North Africa. Then it reached Rome and Florence, which are two cities on the center of a web of trade routes. So at this point, it just kind of exploded. By January of 1348, a different plague strain had entered Europe through Genoa, which was brought by another Caffin ship. The Genoans, uh, or Genoans attack the ship and drive it away, but it's still too late, and another strain infects Italy. The plague also heads east from Sicily into the Persian Empire through Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, Poland, and South Egypt. To make things even worse, Cyprus was not only battling the plague, but it was also hit with an earthquake and a tidal wave at the same damn time. Like, for fuck's sake, give him a break. During this same time, Venice is dealing with its outbreak and pioneers the first organized response with committees ordering ship inspections and burning those with contagions, as well as shutting down taverns and restricting wine from unknown sources. Almost sounds like they were quarantining or social distancing. Anyway, um, the canals of Venice were filled with gondolas shouting official instructions for disposing of the dead bodies. I couldn't find anywhere if this is kind of where the bring out your dead came from. I know it's like in Monty Python, but I didn't know if it was like a legitimate thing and I could not find anything other than the fact that it was in Monty Python. So even with these precautions, the plague did still kill 60% of the Venetian population. Um, by June of 1348, the plague had entered England through the port of Melcombe Regis in Dorset and spread through the town. Some people fled the town, which inadvertently did spread the plague even further. Um, like they would go to the countryside and of course they were probably already infected and that happened like pretty much all over. People were like, I'm going to get away from this. And then they tried to flee and inadvertently just took it with them. Um, of course, people weren't as well versed on biology back then. So they saw this plague as a divine punishment and retribution for sins against God. So with this logic, the only way to overcome the plague was to receive God's forgiveness. So some thought the way to do this was to purge their communities of heretics and troublemakers so thousands of Jews were massacred and thousands more fled to sparsely populated areas of Eastern Europe. In April of 1348, the first massacre of a Jewish community occurred in province where 40 Jews were murdered. Other religious zealots were some upper class men called flagellants who would be half naked, marching, singing, and beating themselves and one another with heavy leather straps that were studded with sharp metal while the villagers or other people watched. They would travel from town to town and engaged in these public displays of penance, penance and punishment. They did this for 33.5 days, then they repeated this ritual three times a day, and then they would move on to the next town and repeat this process. The flagellants were also well known for their violent anti-Semitism, but they mysteriously disappeared by 1350. 
The plague then moves through Austria and Switzerland, where the anti-Semitism increases and more massacres continue after rumors spread that the Jews caused the plague by poisoning wells. I saw that like the Jewish community wasn't as affected and they thought it had to do with like their hygiene routine. I don't know if maybe they were just bathing more frequently or what. But then, of course, everybody is like, well, they're not getting it, so they must be trying to poison us. Towns in Germany and France with Jewish communities were completely destroyed. The Polish king, Casimir III, offers safe haven to Jews, which starts a mass migration to Poland and Lithuania. I think um, Messina, I think that was another place that was like a um, sanctuary. Now, in the fall of 1348, the plague has spread through London. It's even killed King Edward III's daughter um, and then... Okay, that was just a random fact, I guess. Now, one of the worst Jewish ma- Jewish massacres during the Black Death happened on Valentine's Day in 1349 in Strasbourg, where 2,000 Jews were burned alive, and later in the spring, 3,000 Jews that defended themselves against Christians were overcome and killed. In the summer of 1349, an English ship brings the Black Death to Norway when it runs aground in Bergen. The crew is dead inside, and the plague travels to Denmark and Sweden. Here, the king believes that fasting on a Friday and foregoing shoes on Sunday will please God and end the plague. But, of course, this doesn't doesn't work, and the plague spreads, and it even kills two of the king's brothers, and it's making its way to Russia and eastern Greenland. I want to know, um, I can understand the fasting on Friday thing, because like on Lent and like Ash Wednesday and stuff, you're supposed to fast. Um, but I I want to know where he got the shoe thing on Sundays. I don't know. I just found like that's things like, I just want to know, like what the process in these people's minds were other than sheer panic to be like, OK, you know what God hates is shoes. So maybe if we don't wear shoes on Sunday, he'll leave us alone. I don't I don't really know. So in Scotland, uh, the Scotland avoided the plague until March of 1350, when the Scottish hoped to take advantage of England's weakness by planning an invasion. While they waited on England's border to attack, the troops became infected and 5,000 people ended up dying. With this, they chose to retreat, but then this, of course, brought the plague back home, which killed a third of the Scottish population. So I, I, I know that there's a lot of beef between England and Scotland and all those places. I don't know much about it, but it's like, well, come on now. So finally, around 1351, the plague begins to die down, possibly because quarantine efforts, but already Europe has lost 25 to 50 million people and 210 Jewish communities have been completely annihilated. By 1353, most of Europe considers the plague behind them, and Europe faces the change in society. The combination of mass death rates and large numbers of survivors fleeing their homes ends the social and economic system spiraling, and or sends it spiraling, and it becomes easier to get work for better wages, and the average standard of living rises. So this is the time of feudalism, and this 
well, during the plague and before that it was, but after the plague, this starts the death of feudalism and it causes the aristocracy to try and pass laws preventing any further rise by peasants, which of course leads to an upheaval and revolution in both England and France. This is the time also when many opportunities for new ideas and concepts begin, which directly leads to the Renaissance. There was no true end to the plague. The plague was still continuing and like there are many smaller outbreaks, but officials in port city of Ragusa were able to slow the spread by keeping sailors who were arriving quarantined until it was clear they weren't carrying the disease. So the sailors were initially held on their ships for 30 days, which is Trentino, which was then increased to 40 days or a quarantine. So that's where we get that word. When I just said that, it made me think of um, my big fat Greek wedding when he was like, I can tell you if you give me any word and I will show you that the origin of that word is Greek because I almost wanted to be like increased to 40 days or quarantine. There you go, which is what he says. I don't know. Just I that made me think of that. Anyway, shut up, Aurelia. So treating the plague. I mentioned how we treat the plague in 2024, but obviously they didn't have antibiotics back then. The physicians of the time relied on crude techniques like our bestie bloodletting, which I talked about briefly, and boil lancing, which we still do in size abscesses, like cut them open, but obviously it's much more sterile and um, (laughs) probably a lot less painful. Um, They also practiced other homeopathic remedies like burning aromatic herbs and bathing in rose water and vinegar. But if you didn't have any vinegar, then you could just use your own urine. Um, Other homeopathic regimens were to apply a mixture of tree resin, roots of white lilies, and human excrements. All of these, they like start very reasonable and then they just take a real hard left turn. So they also thought that you could fix the plague by placing a live hen close to the swellings on your body to draw out the pestilence or the bacteria, and then you would drink your own urine twice a day. My personal favorite is that they they recommended grinding up emerald and drinking it in wine. That sounds like quite the experience, but I also want to know, did these doctors really think these peasants had access to fucking emeralds, you know? Other tactics were to ingest snake skin, bone from the heart of a stag, Armenian clay, precious metals, aloe, myrrh, and saffron, like just all kinds of shit. They'd also recommend roasting shells of newly laid eggs and grinding them to a powder and then adding marigold flowers, treacle, and drink this in warm beer every morning and every night. This is the most foul one for me. They told people to drink the pus from the lanced buboes. I'm just letting that sit with you for a minute. Drink, like imagine having an abscess. You know what? Don't imagine it. Don't because I'm not going to imagine it either. Um, <laughs> healthy people were panicking and avoided the sick like the plague. But um, t- um, doctors refuse. <laughs> I am my own personal favorite comedian doctors refused to see patients um, and priests wouldn't give last rites shopkeepers closed stores people were even so desperate to save themselves that they would abandon their sick and dying loved ones 
As seen with the previous pandemic, the Black Death had people dying at such rapid paces that proper burial and cremation couldn't occur, so corpses were just thrown into large pits and decaying bodies just laid in their homes or on the streets. um, In fact, people were so afraid that they were going to suffer a spiritual death as much as the physical death because no clergy would perform burial rites. Now, I don't know if this is during the same pandemic, I read somewhere that it was, but then I read that this was all more in the 1600s. But we've all heard about the plague doctors. They would wear peculiar costumes to protect themselves. So the costume was, um, they'd wear like a protective garb from head to foot with leather or or oil cloth robes, leggings, gloves, and a hood with a wide-brimmed hat, which was supposed to denote their profession. They'd also have a beak-like mask with glass eyes and two breathing nostrils that were filled with the aromatic herbs and flowers to ward off those miasmas. They also like carried this cane, um, which they would use to evaluate patients, which I'll talk about here. They avoided contact with the patients as much as possible. They would take their pulse with the stick or like this cane or they would pass prescri- prescriptions for aromatic herb inhalation through a door. Um, they would also lance the buboes with knives that were several feet long. I'm just still stuck on taking a pulse with a stick. I mean, I guess it could work, but interesting. People fled cities to go to the country, like I said, but of course the disease was there too. It affected cows, sheep, goats, pigs, and chickens, so literally no one was safe. In fact, so many sheep died that one consequence of this plague was also the shortage of wool. So why the Black Death? Why is it called the Black Death? Like I said, it wasn't always called the Black Death. Um, it, It used to just be, they would just call it the pestilence or the plague. And it wasn't used to describe the plague pandemic in English until the 1750s during some paper that somebody wrote. Uh, In 1347, during the pandemic plague, like I said, it wasn't referred specifically as black at the time, but black death had been applied to other fatal diseases beforehand just because black was the color of death. So many things, even if it wasn't physically black, were called the black, like black death um, or like a, I don't know, prior to this. Oh, I already said that. Okay. So what are some effects of the plague? We already talked about how it kind of ended feudalism or caused a change in feudalism, kind of gave people, the well, at least the people that survived, a better standard of living. Um, but there was, of course, a cessation of wars and a slump in trade immediately following the pandemic. But this was only a very short duration. More lasting consequences were the drastic reduction in the amount of land under cultivation, as many of those laborers had died. This was the ruin of many landowners, and the shortage of labor compelled them to substitute wages or monetary rent in place of labor services to keep their tenants. There was also a rise in wages for artisans and peasants, which brought a change to a very rigid status of society. Of course, there was also a great increase in anti-Semitism throughout Europe, as the Jews were still blamed for the spread. Um, There was continued waves of violent attacks, and entire Jewish communities continued to be killed by mobs or burned at the stake. So the plague does have a long history of being a biological weapon. So this is more like modern era. Well, and then I start with, in ancient China... (laughs) 
<laughs> so in ancient China and medieval Europe, the Huns, Mongols, Turks, etc. would use infected, um, yeah, infected animal carcasses like cows or horses or even infected human remains to contaminate the enemy water supply. The Han Dynasty general Hoa Chubing died from this type of contamination while he was in war against Zan Yu, a.k.a. the Huns. Um, the plague victims were even reportedly catapulted into other cities under siege. For example, in 1347, Kaffa came under siege, like I mentioned, by the army of Mongol warriors, where the Mongols were apparently withering from disease. So the Mongols decided that they were they were losing, I guess. So they decided to use the infected corpses of their group and catapulted them over the city walls, which infected the inhabitants. It's theorized that this may have led to the transfer of the Black Death to the south of Europe because, like I said, the Kaffa ships came into Genoese and then we saw the spread. But during World War II... And I recently learned about this on TikTok, and then I read it, obviously, here. Um, During World War II, the Japanese army deliberately infected the Chinese, Korean, and Manchurian civilians and POWs with plague-infected fleas. Those infected were then studied by dissection and even more horribly by vivisection while still conscious. So vivisection is performed while still alive which is disgusting. During the Kab uh, oh fuck. During the Kabarovsk Kabarovsk what the fuck? During the Kabarovsk okay, Kabarovsk war crime trials in 1949, 12 of those involved in this unit that were doing these experiments were prosecuted and they even admitted to spreading the bubonic plague in a 22-mile radius around Changdi. After World War II, the U.S. and the Soviet Union developed a way of weaponizing the pneumonic plague by doing numerous different experiments and developing strains resistant to antibiotics or combining the plague with other diseases like diphtheria. However, information on the Soviet and U.S. projects regarding these bioweapons is obviously largely unavailable. But aerosolized pneumonic plague remains the most significant threat. And in fact, the CDC has the bubonic plague listed as a Category A bioterrorism agent 1. And that is the bubonic plague and the plague in general. So what did you guys think? I thought that this was very interesting because I probably didn't know at least 95% of this. And I found it super informative and just kind of... Also terrifying as far as it being used as a bioweapon, which I think I had heard that and knew that. But still, just the thought that it's just sitting there chilling, you know. That is the plague. I don't have anything else to say. I hope that you guys liked this. And yeah, I feel like the end is so awkward because I'm like, okay, That's all. Like, I don't have anybody to sit there and, like, clap or ask questions (laughs) or anything. I'm literally just sitting here like, okay, well, that's all I have. So, Um, but that is all I have. We'll be back to just a regular medical case and true crime case next week. The medical case will probably be, like, pretty chill. I say that, but we'll see. And anyway... Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed this two-parter 
And as always, if you have any true crime cases, weird medical cases, or just weird shit in general that you want me to look into, be sure to send that to thatsinsanepodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast. Don't be stingy. Share it. Let other people know. If you want to follow my Instagram, you can find me at that's insane underscore pod. I'm also on Facebook on That's Insane Podcast. And then you can watch me tell some of these stories on my makeup TikTok under a really may makeup. If you don't really give a shit about makeup and you just want to support me, a follow would be lovely. I'll just see you next time. Bye.